0: Done is done forever. I know that. I'm saying that the ones who have been here have been the way they were. And the ones of us who are here now are the way we are. And to know that is the only chance we've got, dead and living, to be here together. I ain't saying we don't have to know what we ought to have been and ought to be but we oughtn't to let that stand between us. That ain't the way we are. The way we are, we are members of each other. All of us. Everything. The difference ain't in who is a member and who is not, but in who knows it and who don't. What has been here, not what ought to have been, is what I have to claim. I have to be what I've been and own up to it. No secret faults. Because before long, I'm going to have to look the old marster in the face, and when he says, Burley Coulter, I hope to say, Yes, sir. Such as I am, that's me. Hello, and welcome to The Membership, a brand new podcast about and inspired by the life and work of Wendell Berry. As a farmer, essayist, novelist, poet, and activist, Wendell Berry has been plowing the same plot of Kentucky Hillside for more than 50 years. The thread that runs through all those forms together is the thread of healthy land and healthy communities. Berry calls us to the highest standards of fidelity to neighbor, creation, and creator. These are the values he argues for in his essays and nonfiction with a rigorous logic of a legal brief. These same values are tenderly brought to life in his novels and short stories which are all set in and around the fictional village of Port William, Kentucky, and his poetry captures unforgettably how those values present themselves in the everyday stuff of life. My name is John Pattison, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Jason Hardy and Tim Wasson. Jason, Tim, how are you doing? Doing well.
1: First time in the same room doing this. Uh, We can start off right off the bat that we've been recording a few of these episodes ahead of time and this is actually as we're recording this zero kind of episode that's going to be the spark of everything to come uh this is our first chance to actually be in the same room
0: together and and do this so yeah excited to be with you except for last night when we were watching baseball when we should have been testing uh recording (laughs) (laughs) priorities kershaw Kershaw was pitching yeah Yeah. kershaw was pitching so that's a (laughs) must-see event yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an, another rare privilege in that uh, we get to do our very first episode, or episode zero, we get to do live with in front of an audience, and some podcasts never get to do this. Tim, you've been uh, co-host of a podcast for over 100 episodes, and... You've still never been in the same room with your co-host, right? No, no. I've still never met one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and that podcast
1: is? The Erasable Podcast. Which, which is pod- about? It's a podcast about uh, pencils, writing tools, stationery, things like that. So I've been doing that for four years. Yeah. We have 109 episodes.
0: Yeah. About 95 more than we thought we'd be able to do. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get into this a little bit later, but that's actually how I met Tim is because I've been a loyal listener of, of Erasable. Um, so, But we get to do... Uh, An episode, a live episode right from the very beginning. And we're doing it here uh, in October 2018 at the Hutchmoot Gathering in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, in front of uh, other folks who have been here um, all weekend. And um, for listeners who don't know, Hutchmoot is the annual gathering of the Rabbit Room. And the Rabbit Room is an organization that's based in Nashville that explores the intersection of of community and spirituality and creativity. And uh, the three of us really love the work that the Rabbit Room is doing. And actually, the membership is really uh, proud to be a part of the new podcast network that the Rabbit Room is is starting. And that's another uh, sort of rare privilege that we have is right from the start to be a part of a community of podcasts with similar goals of um, cultivating great conversations Uh, And uh, so we're really grateful to the Rabbit Room for letting us be part of that, for letting us do this. We're grateful to Pete Peterson and Andrew Peterson for for that. And we're grateful to all of you for being here. Um, Just so that uh, our listeners know that we're not just making this up, can, I don't know, can you just acknowledge your presence in here somehow with uh, a round of applause for yourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in a little bit, we're going to bring up our also our first ever guest, uh, the singer-songwriter Alan Levi. Um, but before we get uh, too far, I thought it would be, we thought it would be good if, uh, Tim, you talked a little bit about how this podcast came to be. Yeah,
1: I'd love to. Uh, we, as many good things begin, this podcast began with conversations around uh, campfires and beers uh, <laughs> <laughs> conversations that started at, at casual moments where we we're just spending time together and uh i guess it was about a year ago at least a year ago but jason and i live in the same town we've known each other for about five years and uh we actually met on a blind date it's <laughs> true. Yeah. set up by a friend of ours who yeah. was like you guys would be friends you need <laughs> to know each other uh based on baseball wilco and mexican food and so yeah. we met up became good friends and our wives are good friends and uh become part of a, a close-knit group, and uh, so we got together, and over time, we quickly figured out that the fourth connection between us was Wendell Berry, and so we got to talking about him a lot, uh, kept coming up over and over, and then because of my time on the Erasable podcast, I got to a, a point where I really wanted to do something Additional, I would say, I want to do something else. I've been, t- been talking about pencils for so long. I, just, <laughs> I felt like I, there, there had to be another passion that I could talk about. Um, and I uh, reached out to Jason, and Jason thought that was uh, something he'd be interested in. And uh, I guess shortly after that, John had a chance to come to Johnson City, Tennessee, which is where I'm from, and he had a chance to come speak at Milligan, which is actually also the college I went to, and we got together. Uh, and I told him kind of about the rough idea of the podcast. Of what I was thinking about because we quickly figured out that we had baseball and Wilco and <laughs> Wendell Berry and, and el- eventually food. how we there? Eventually, yeah. Mexican yeah. food like last night. Uh, yeah. We had that in common, and then about two months later, I got a call from John. He said, "Hey, I've got a great idea for a podcast. <laughs> it's about Wendell Berry." <laughs> and then I and then he said, and then I realized that that was. The idea we had talked about a couple months ago. Yeah. So we kind of were on the same wavelength. And then uh, within five minutes, I think we had agreed that this would definitely be something that we needed to do together. We didn't really know each other that well mm-hmm. at that point, and we're still getting to know each other. So yeah. uh, it just seemed kind of like things were aligning, I, I guess. And yeah. it seemed like an obvious fit.
0: And it, it, they aligned because I have a bad memory and I thought I had this great idea for a Wendell Berry podcast. And then belated like four hours later realized no that was actually tim's idea uh, <laughs> uh but you, you're right like the you and i had only hung out one time and jason and i had actually never met so yeah. we're, i think one of you said this in a previous conversation but we get to get we get to get to know each other within the context of this podcast which is fun
1: yeah absolutely yeah which is definitely a privilege because we all we, we all care a lot about these stories and care a lot about his work uh, wendell berry's work and it just any chance to get to engage with it is great but to get to engage with it this closely and like as deeply as we 're going to get to do is really a privilege so um, and we also it was just interesting we all came to it from different areas of I'm, I'm, for those of you listening i'm using air quotes expertise <laughs> 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 I 'll say enthusiasm that the way it worked out is that um, I know his fiction very well Jason is very familiar with his essays and John with his poetry so we're all kind of coming at it from different fo- like a different focus which we're, makes it even more exciting because we feel like we're learning about each other. We're also learning about Wendell Berry and we're learning from people who have an enthusiasm or, uh, that's from a different angle than our own. Yeah, so. And I think uh, you know, the next thing, uh, we've, that's, that's how it kind of came to be, but just to let you know a little bit more about us. We're going to go through and tell you um, where we come from, and also what are basically answering the questions we've given
0: you on uh, your slips of paper and that we'll be talking to uh, our guest about. So John, do you want to start us out? Sure, yeah. Um, uh, I'm My voice is the voice of John Pattison, and um, I am from Silverton, Oregon, which is a town about 45 miles south of, of Portland. I live there with my wife, uh, Kate, and our two daughters. Uh, they're ages four and ten. Well, the 10-year-old is 10 now. By the time this actually is uh, uh, published or uh, you know, broadcast for the first time, not broadcast, what's it called when you do a podcast? Posted? Posted. I don't know. Uh, by the time anyone outside this room hears this podcast, my daughter will be 11. I spent a lot of time on her age just now. Um, <laughs> uh, and we have an agenda. We've got to get through it. Um, uh, Silverton is, uh, still largely agricultural. We have a lot of Christmas tree farms and nurseries in the area. There's a great state park just above the town with, I think, 14 different waterfalls. It's a very beautiful, um, uh, place, very lovely town sort of built, uh, around the creek that runs through the center of town. Um, it's a, it's, it's Silverton is also growing very quickly though. I think we recently were estimated to have passed the 10,000 mark, um, and so we're be increasingly becoming a bedroom community for Salem and Portland, and so that's starting to change the fabric of our town a little bit, and there's been some, some um, anxiety from uh, long-term, long-time residents. I've only been there for eight years. Um, and so that is changing. Um, my work, I'm a writer and uh, a speaker and a nonprofit consultant, and um, my most recent book uh, was published by University Press a few years ago, and it's called Slow Church, um, sort of uh, inspired by the slow food movement, which Wendell Berry has been very uh, uh, involved in and has been kind of a, I don't know if I want to call him a patron saint, but has been a you know prime mover in the slow food or local food movement. Uh, movement. And another important thing to know about me, uh, for future listeners is that my family and I live in community and, uh, co we co house with two other families. And that's a really important part of, of our lives. Um, there are three families that live together, um, and four generations. Um, and so it's a really, um, just an amazing, uh, thing that we get to do. And our two daughters get, there are no other kids in the house yet. Um, there is one family that's younger than us, but uh, one couple. But our, daughter, our daughters get to grow up with six adults in the home who just love them to pieces. And uh, uh, we get to experiment with a lot of the values that Wendell Berry um, talks about. Um, my Wendell Berry, Wendell Berry origin story, which is kind of what we, we've been calling them, um, about 15 years ago, my wife and I um, uh, co-owned uh, a restaurant in Chico, California. And it was um, a restaurant, or it is, it's still around, uh, it is a restaurant that specialized in local and organic um, food. Um, and uh, we had a co-owner, and the co-owner uh, suggested that we create a bookshelf of books that we could sell there with um, books that had inspired us. And so I put books by Eric uh, Schlosser and John Robbins, uh, Francis Moore LePay and Alice Waters, um, And others, uh, books by Carlo Petrini, who helped found the Slow Food Movement. And our co-owner said, well, you definitely have to have books by Wendell Berry. And at that point, I had seen Wendell Berry's name. I had seen him quoted a lot. But I had actually never really read any Wendell Berry. Um, And uh, so I just picked a few books at random. And the first book that I pulled off our own shelf to start reading was uh, his essay collection, Another Turn of the Crank. And I was uh, immediately hooked. Um, I was hooked by the quality of the writing. I was a writer myself. Um, and it reconnected me, actually, to a calling that I had once felt. Um, my, I grew up uh, in small towns, and my mom, um, for a while, owned restaurants in small towns in Kansas and Nebraska. Um, and she owned this restaurant in Kansas when I was in grade school and middle school. And I would work in the restaurant um, in the summer and every day I would take a break right around, uh, uh, well, mid-morning when the farmers would come in from the fields and they would get coffee and cinnamon rolls. And uh, I would sit with them and I would listen to them talk. And I already knew I wanted to be a writer, but I made a very conscious decision at that age that I wanted to write about rural people and rural places. Um, and honestly, that was something that I had forgotten for a long time. It felt very important to me at the time. But when I started reading Wendell Berry, I found somebody who was writing about rural people and rural places in, uh, w- with a beauty and a persuasiveness that I didn't think possible. Uh, in fact, it made me want to not be a writer for a while <laughs> because he was, so, he was so, so good. Um, uh, and as I kept reading, uh, my wife uh, began to read. He transformed how we thought about land and food and communities. Uh, transformed how we thought about faith and um, what it meant to be a good neighbor. And perhaps the most important thing, I would even say, is he persuaded us that it was time to stay put. Um, uh, I grew up moving around a lot from my dad's job, and so even into adulthood, every two years I started to feel restless and wanted to pull up stakes and move on to something else. And my wife and I began uh, saying, you know, we just need to find a place um, and stay there forever. And, uh, and that's what we did with Silverton, uh, which was near where my family was in Oregon. But, um, so that was uh, very, very important um, for us. And you can trace a direct line between reading Wendell Berry and, and Slow Church for sure. I'd actually like to read my favorite poem, It's a well-known poem. It's my favorite poem, not just by Wendell Berry, but by anybody. Uh, In fact, for the first couple of years or so when I would speak about Slow Church, I would actually start by reading this poem um, because it would set the tone of what I wanted for the whole conversation. Um, You will likely know uh, what it is or likely recognize the title. It's uh, The Mad Farmer Liberation Front, A Manifesto. It goes like this. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die. And you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So, friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance. For what man has not encountered, he has not destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium. Plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant and that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that prophet. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of humus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carrion. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. So long as women do not go cheap for power, please women more than men. Ask yourself, will this satisfy a woman satisfied to bear a child? Will this disturb the sleep of a woman near to giving birth? Go with your love to the fields. Lie down in the shade. Rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest your thoughts. As soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail, the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection.
1: It's a life-changing poem every day that you read it. <laughs> and there's, yeah. so, yes. there's so yeah. much there. You, you just, there's like an infinity within that poem. Yeah. You just yeah. can't, uh, I think we can quit the podcast now. Yeah, right? I think we just, we'll just read that every yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that pretty much gets the job done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, Jason,
2: you want to go ahead? Sure, yeah. Uh, Well, my name is is Jason Hardy, um, and I am actually, I grew up right here where we are today um, in Franklin, Tennessee, Uh, but now I live in Johnson City, um, Tennessee with my wife, Laura. Um, I I do a lot of things with my time. Um, I pay the bills by working for an IT company um, here in the Nashville area, but I work from home. Um, And my bosses are great. Um, They give me, uh, they let me work part-time so that I could also uh, pursue other things that I love. Um, I teach uh, adjunct classes at Milligan College and King University um, in the Tri-Cities area. Um, And I also am a musician. I play bass and and do that. So um, my uh, Wendell Berry origin story, uh, I... uh, I discovered Wendell Berry when I was in college at, uh, at Belmont University. Um, and, uh, I I had heard his name, um, sort of bandied about in the circles that, uh, that I was running in at the time. But, um, there was a, a Sunday afternoon where I found myself, uh, with some time to kill, um, in the, uh, in the library at, at Belmont University, like you do, you know, you're bored, you just go to the library and look for a book to read. Um,
1: I, I think you need to tell some form of Do, do story. I need to tell the full do, story? Yeah. Okay.
2: Well, the full story <laughs> is that I had, I had, uh, sort of voluntarily exiled myself from my dorm room, uh, because it had been made uninhabitable due to the revelry that my roommate had engaged in the night before. So that's sort of why I was, uh, yeah, why I ended up in the library. Uh, but anyway, yeah, thank you. Thanks Tim. Uh, so I was, uh, I was walking around the library look, just looking for something to read and I and I happened upon uh the section of Wendell Berry's fiction um and I decided to pull down a small volume called Fidelity um which was a collection of short stories and uh, found a comfortable chair and I sat down and just started to read and then four hours later I had almost finished the whole book it was uh I had never read anything like it. Um, unlike John, um, I did not grow up uh, around uh, rural areas. Um, I, I grew up here in a very suburban area, uh, close, to, uh, close to Nashville. So um, I, I didn't have that background, but I was just struck by uh, the values of communal living that I saw um, in, these, uh, in these stories. And um, yeah, couldn't get enough, couldn't get enough of it um from From the fiction I, I quickly moved on to uh, to starting to read uh, barry's nonfiction his essays um, and what was really uh, f- uh, sort of foundational to the way i would I would come to think for the rest the rest of my life thus far anyway I guess <laughs> uh, is uh, you know at that time um, When I was in college, as as many people do, um, I started to sort of question the assumptions that I had entered into college with, uh, particularly the political and economic assumptions that I had grown up with um, in a, in a fairly conservative evangelical setting. Um, and I found in Barry, um, well, Barry was, I guess the first Christian writer that I had ever read to challenge the idea that capitalism as it is practiced in the United States of America is always and everywhere morally a good force and, uh, should always be pursued, um, in, in as direct a way as possible. So, um, but he he did that in a way that didn't resort to sort of the dualities that, a lot of our political discourse gets, gets locked into, right? Um, he did that in a way that, that was not um, sort of pitting socialism against capitalism or progressivism against conservatism or Republican against Democrat. Um, instead he did it by um, thinking about uh, how human beings should live with one another and uh, and live uh, on the land um, in their places with values of neighborly love and um, and stewardship and care for the creation um, the kinds of things that Jesus talked about in the Gospels. Um, so that was that was definitely huge for me. Um, I also uh, I entered um, entered, college as a music major and left it with an English degree, um, and uh, then decided to pursue a master's in, uh, in English literature at the University of Tennessee. And I found in Barry's work um, on, uh, he, he actually has, we, we know him as an agrarian writer, right? Someone who wr- wr- writes about farming, agricultural policy, um, and, and things like this. But he also uh, writes a surprising amount about literature, um, specifically. Um, and I found in Barry, um, he, he just had um, this approach to literature, to seeing it uh, in the context of our actual lives, our daily lives. Literature is something that can affect how we live um, our lives. Um, and that was, that was very inspiring to me. Um, so I ended up writing my master's thesis on uh, Wendell Barry's literary criticism specifically um, and how he answers the question, what is literature for? Um, more importantly, while I was in graduate school, I met my wife, Laura, uh, who was also writing her master's thesis on Wendell Berry, um, and uh, so the first conversation we had with one another was about Wendell Berry, um, and I think it's, uh, it's safe to say that um, that conversation was what first brought us together, and so we have, we have, uh, uh, we have Wendell Berry to thank for that. Um, we also now have a cat that we tried to name Wendell, um, but uh, his personality was such that we changed his name to Grindel um, after, <laughs> after not that long. So um, so I'd like to share with you all uh, a little bit just from one of my favorite, uh, favorite texts from Wendell Berry. This is the book Standing By Words, a collection of essay, as I was mentioning, um, mostly on literature and writing. And I'd like to read you all just a... Uh, a short, um, a short section um, from the uh, the essay "Poetry in Place." Um, I really like this essay and this book in particular. Um, not only is it taking literature and language as its subject, um, but like a lot of Wendell Berry's other essays, um, you know, when he's writing about farming, he's not just writing about farming. Uh, He's writing about how we live together and in in creation. And the same sort of applies to uh, the essays in this book. So this is an excerpt from Poetry and Place. So far, I have considered poetry service to the truth as a spiritual and ethical matter. And this service does begin and end with such concerns. But insofar as it is performed by poetry and not another kind of work, Such service raises ultimately the whole array of technical questions, and it raises them more urgently, I believe, than they can otherwise be raised. It does this by the questions having to do with propriety or decorum. What is the kind, quality, and importance of the subject? What then would be the appropriate or fitting or seemly form, style, diction, rhythm with which to treat it? When the poet believes that his poem is about or in service to a subject greater than itself and than him or herself, these questions become paramount. And I'll skip ahead a little bit. One of the larger concerns of decorum, reaching to more than literature, is the question of what is proper to do. But the question of propriety of action is unanswerable by itself. It cannot be answered answered or even intelligibly asked, except in the terms of the question of propriety of place, not just of the immediate human and worldly context of the action, but of the place of the actor in the order of creation. How you act should be determined, and the consequences of your acts are determined by where you are. To know where you are and whether or not that is where you should be is at least as important as to know what you are doing. Because the moral, the ecological sense, you cannot know what until you have learned where. Not knowing where you are, you can make mistakes of the utmost seriousness. You can lose your soul or your soil, your life or your way home. So uh, I picked this passage because Wendell Berry is talking about poetry. He's talking about uh, understanding your place in relation to your subject uh, when you are writing a poem, but he's also talking about the work that we do as human beings more broadly. Um, and I think it's in this this particular essay and in this book that we sort of get um, a really systematic uh, approach to Wendell Berry's ethics of caring about your place and knowing your place within it and acting out of that. Um, and I'm excited to uh, to finally get to this book.
0: And as you know, in a fr- here at Hutchmoot we're in a room full of. Of writers and artists yeah. and uh, and creatives or people who and you know people who who value creativity. Uh, that's that book seems like one that maybe uh, if you haven't read it maybe especially appropriate Absolutely. for this this audience here in the room. Yeah, no, definitely. But even, well, even for me, like I, I haven't read the entire collection, but I've read
1: several essays in there that were given me in college, and and I feel like and this is just piggybacking off of what you just said, Jason. That some of those essays speak to how I handle myself in my profession outside of writing, mm-hmm. about even in parenting, and, and, and all sort of different pursuits and how you're understanding, understanding your context before you just worry yourself with what you're doing, like understand what it means to be where you are. But, Tim, what about you? Well, again, my name's Tim Wassum. I am a, I live in Johnson City as well. I actually grew up in the Chicago area, uh, just over the border in a town called Munster, Indiana. And I grew up there uh, and lived there until college. When I came down to Milligan College I'll admit begrudgingly, (laughs) I I was planning to go to a different school. My dad was actually a professor at Emanuel School of Religion in Johnson City, Tennessee, and I got talked into the idea of coming there and just, you know, do some general education stuff. Then if you want to go somewhere else, you can. And I, not being sarcastic, I don't remember ever thinking about leaving once I got there. (laughs) It was when I got to that place, you know, speaking of place, I got there, uh, Met the people that were there and just felt something that was—it was very different than where I would come from. Again, I came like Jason. I came up in a pretty suburban area. Um, I jokingly, semi-jokingly, uh, would talk about flying home from Tennessee to Indiana and Chicago and watch the ground turn from green to brown to gray <laughs> as, as I went from mountains to cornfields to asphalt. You know, uh, it's just, and so that that had a pretty profound effect on me, and as maybe a reason with why Wendell Berry struck a chord with me as he just caught me uh, at, the, just at the perfect time. But uh, I grew up uh, son of a minister. My dad was a minister in Christian church for 30 years, and, and now he's a uh, fundraiser for church planting through a group called Stadia, and my mom was an artist. And so I feel like... Those two things kind of mixing themselves together made me into who I am now, which is a teacher and a wannabe writer. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm a teacher, a high school teacher now in Johnson, or actually in in Tennessee. And I teach high school English, and I, after finishing up at Milligan, I went to ETSU and got my master's, and I've been teaching there for about seven years now. And it's, uh, I love what I do, I love teaching, and our school is actually part of uh, the XQ Foundation. It's a group founded by Steve Jobs, uh, to fund and improve public schools, our school has just been designated uh, one of the 18 super schools in the nation. So we got a multi-million dollar grant from the Steve Jobs Foundation. It's one of two in Tennessee, so Tennessee represent. We actually have two two super schools in in here, so I, I really am proud to proud to work there and proud to work with my, my 11th graders. Tim, you just name-dropped Steve Jobs on a Wendell Berry <laughs> podcast. I just, just wanted to point that <laughs> yeah, out. There. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. <laughs> so like, I haven't... Like a, didn't Tim it, knows didn't meet his, him, yeah.
0: his next master's thesis is going <laughs> to be. Yeah, well, yeah. there's not going to be another one of those. Three, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I... When I was at Milligan, uh, I was a... Initially, I was actually... I forget this sometimes, but I was a journalism major when I got there, which very quickly presented itself as a bad choice for me (laughs) i did not i didn't enjoy that but i i started to get into english and i didn't really become a a avid reader until later in high school maybe sophomore junior year of high school and so when i was coming into milligan i was hungry for new writers to read and i was reading all kinds of different stuff and was a time when i was getting into southern writers because i'm coming to this place and uh reading and also reading the flannery o'connor and uh learned about ron rash who's still a writer who's really important to me and a kid who i met at milligan said i forget what the book was but he said hey if you like that you'll like this book (laughs) it's about a barber (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's it's, which is the book jaber crow uh, which is the fictional memoir of the barber uh, in port william and amazingly, I said, sure, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I'll give it a shot because I knew nothing about Wendell Berry at the time. And I took that book home with me over Thanksgiving break that year and uh, barely left the couch. I I have very vivid memories of sitting in a, it also helped that my parents were in the process of moving from Indiana. So I was sitting in an empty house that literally had like a couch <laughs> in the living room. I was just in the one place I could sit down. And I was sitting by a window and read it, snow falling outside, and read through that book. And it affected me pretty profoundly. I remember. Finishing reading it, and going back to Tennessee, and then getting the audio book and then listening to it over again, just as I was walking around campus, because it became, uh, it became important to me. I think because it showed me, uh, similar to what you were saying, where he's talking about people who are farmers and barbers and stuff. But it, it was about much. It, it was clearly about much more than that to me, because I was able to see characters who were like perfect examples of imperfect people, which I think is a, a really Really great strength of his to show us characters that can be crude and they can be you know, they'll be funny but they'll be heartfelt and they will surprise you at times mm. and the characters felt so real that I felt like I identified myself in many of the characters which also felt unusual coming from where I came from because the place he was writing about was totally foreign to me and um, there probably was a little bit of just wanting that place wanting to be <laughs> wanting to be a person who lives in Port William and for those of you I don't know how many of you have read his fiction, but they all take place, all of his stories take place within a, the fictional town of Port William. And so you can kind of jump around all these different decades and it's just a fascinating journey. It's like getting into any, it's it's a rare a, a rare privilege to find an author who who lets you stay in one place, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for so yeah. long, which is uh, a perfect, uh, is, is a perfect way to describe him, a writer who stays in place. And, uh, yeah, just characters who are comfortable in their own skin and seem to know themselves in a very, uh, transcendental way. <laughs> they, they knew their place and they knew themselves. And I'm going to read you a, a passage from my favorite uh, Jaber Burko. The first I read is still my favorite, and it's a this book is a, like I said a fictional memoir of the barber of the town. And he is a failed seminary student. Uh, he began with ambitions of going in seminary and then followed a kind of winding path back to his home area and became became the town barber. And this is a passage of him reflecting on the church in his town. The sermons mostly were preached on the same theme I had heard over and over at the Good Shepherd in Pigeonville. We must lay up treasures in heaven and not be lured and seduced by this world's pretty and tasty things that do not last but are like the flower that is cut down. The preachers were always young students from the seminary who wore, you might say, the mantle of power but not the mantle of knowledge. (laughs) They wouldn't stay long enough to know where they were, for one thing, Some were wise and some were foolish, but none, so far as Port William knew, was ever old. They seemed to have come from some never-never land where the professionally devout were forever forever young. (laughs) They were not going to school to learn where they were, let alone the pleasures and pains of being there or what ought to be said there. You couldn't learn those things in a school. They went to school, apparently, to learn to say over and over again, regardless of where they were, what they had already said too often. They learned to have a very high opinion of God and a very low opinion of His works, although they could tell you that this world had been made by God Himself. What they didn't see was that it was beautiful and that some of the greatest beauties are the briefest. They had imagined the church, which is an organization but not the world, which is an order and a mystery. To them, the church did not exist in the world where people earn their living and have their being, but rather in the world where they fear death and hell, which is not much of a world. To them, the soul was something dark and musty, stuck uh, stuck away for later. In their brief passage through or over it, most of the young preachers knew Port William only as it theoretically was, lost, and as it theoretically might be, saved. And they wanted us all to do our part to spread the bad news to others who had not heard it, the Catholics, <laughs> the Hindus, the Muslims, the Buddhists, and the others, or else they, and maybe we, would go to hell. I did not believe it. They made me see how cut off I was, even when I was sitting in the church. I was a man outside. Having stated the rule, I must honor the exceptions. There were always some in the congregation who didn't like or enjoy many, much of anything. and a few of those, young preachers were bright and could speak. I mean they could sound as if they were awake and make you listen. And they were troubled enough in their own hearts to have something to say. <laughs> a few had wakefully read some books. Maybe one or two of these might even have stayed on in Port William if they could have lived poor enough. But they would have a wife and little children, and the economic winds would blow them past and beyond. And what maybe would Port William have done with them if they had stayed? Port William tends to prefer to hear what it is heard before. In general... I weathered even the most I, I weathered even the worst sermons pretty well they had the great virtue of causing my mind to wander some of the best things I've ever thought of I have thought of during bad sermons <laughs> so, so you can see uh, being the son of a pastor of those, I, I, I haven't shared that section <laughs> the with my dad <laughs> the, husband, the husband of a pastor yeah, yeah. um yeah I, I oh gosh i just said i but i my wife is a, a youth minister in the united methodist church and she preaches at our church pretty often i read that to her and uh, as we were getting ready to go to bed the other night and she cackled in bed and like, <laughs> it's like it's a good thing to remember but so yeah that was, that was my origin. That's, it's, it's interesting that it's a book that I keep coming back to over and over and over again, even as I try to broaden my
0: horizons. It's a special book to me. I think maybe now's a good time, both for the audience here and the folks who are listening later, to sort of have a, a sense of what the format for our episodes will be. Sure. going forward.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Now that you know a little bit about us and uh where yes. we come from and and how we uh first encountered and um have become immersed in in Wendell Berry's work. Um yeah, we'd like to share just a little bit about what you can expect from the episodes in this podcast uh that that will be coming out. Um the first thing uh that we should acknowledge is that we are not experts. We are not experts on Wendell Berry uh, we're not really even experts on literature or or, anything, or really definitely can. not agriculture um, maybe, pencils. maybe pencils for Tim yes yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe uh, we are uh, we are amateurs uh, and amateurs in the old sense of that word. we, uh, we approach Wendell Berry's work with, with love for uh, for his work and for the ideas that uh, that he presents in it. Um, So because we are amateurs, um, I I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited to embark on this uh, on this uh, podcast because uh, we've sort of um, charted a path through Wendell Berry's works um, that that we'd like to take. So most of the episodes that we release um, will likely be the three of us talking about one of Wendell Berry's texts. Um, and the way that we're going to sort of move through his works, we're going to move through it in uh, sort of three parallel, uh, three parallel lines um, co- uh, corresponding with the three genres, the three main genres that uh, Wendell Berry has written in, um, nonfiction, fiction, and poetry. So for the uh, nonfiction, we're going to approach that in a chronological order. Um, as to when it was originally published. Um, So we may not get through all of his essays, but we will at least read representative essays, read and discuss representative essays from um, all of the major uh, collections that he's put out.
1: Because we can say, what's the number of books he's published at right now? It's like in the upper 40s or something like that. It's an unbelievable... Does anyone in the audience know a more accurate... Yeah. Again, not experts. Not so. experts. <laughs> no, but didn't, even, didn't even research. So no. right, but, uh, exactly. yeah, it's, we'll see
0: you at Hutchinson twenty twenty eight <laughs> for the final episode. Of <laughs> right. Episode. Exactly. So
2: this will. We, we fully anticipate that this will take us uh, take us a number of years, and, and we're excited about that. Um, so, so yeah, for the nonfiction, we're going to go in chronological order. Uh, we're going to do the same thing for the poetry. Uh, We're going to take that by publication date in chronological order. Um, And then for the fiction, um, instead of doing that, uh, we wanted to approach that in chronological order in Port William time. Um, so the Port William stories span from the, uh, towards the end of the, uh, 19th century through, uh, the beginning of the 21st century, at least so far. Um, obviously some more things could be published and completely, uh, ruin our Port William (laughs) timeline, uh, uh, in the meantime. And we hope that that happens. Well, he does seem Um, to be writing in reverse though.
1: He does. He's been coming out with like the stories about the 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to drop like a 1600s on us or something. So,
2: uh, our our, our, uh our episodes will be released sort of in seasons uh, so um just uh to sort of fit into our lives um, with all the commitments that we have we will we will take these in seasons and we'll likely take some breaks in between seasons um, we're thinking that our seasons will be around 12 episodes or so um, per season and we'll sort of mix in the different um different genres uh, for different episodes and um, if you'd like to read with us uh, we would definitely encourage you to do so uh, we'll let you know at the end of every episode what we'll be reading for the next time. Um, and uh, we also have a, uh, a newsletter that you can subscribe to, and we'll keep you up to date on what we'll be reading. And on the website,
0: uh, for we'll that. try to
1: have kind of, a as best we can, a map yep. to follow. Yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah. Along.
0: more weeks in advance to get Yeah, to exactly.
1: Get exactly. Yep. And then also, along
2: with our episodes where we are sort of taking deep dives into uh, Wendell Berry's texts, uh, we're also going to be uh, interviewing uh, uh, different people um, whose life or whose work is responding to to Wendell Berry in some way. Um, And we're actually excited to to be able to do that today um, for the first time. Um, Before we move on to that, anything that I missed, guys, and sort of laying out the the course
1: we've charted for ourselves the only thing i would add is that anybody who connects to us through uh, i mean we're, we have an account on twitter membership pod on twitter and we'll be we have the website and you can get in touch with, with us as far as these interviews go if you have suggestions for anybody that mm-hmm. you think would be a good person for us to talk to we'd love to hear we've got a we've got a big list that we, we generate and we're trying to get all sorts of people we have uh, we have farmers and ministers and writers and teachers and uh we're trying to get as many or as, as wide a, a breadth of interviews as we can. We don't want to just stay in one lane the whole time,
2: <laughs> particularly so. because we're three white guys um, <laughs> Talk about talking some about white true, guy. a fourth white guy. Uh, <laughs> it would be good to get some uh, some, yeah.
0: Yeah. some some diversity in there as well. <laughs> Absolutely. So good yeah. deal. All right. So is it time now for our first our first special guest? I yes, I think, so. right. I think so. I think so. Cool. We're well, we're very uh, uh, happy and privileged to have as our very first guest. On the membership podcast, uh, the singer-songwriter Alan Levi and author Alan Levi, Alan, we you come up. Well, I just welcome in, yeah. <laughs> Alan, thank you so much for being
3: here. I'm honored and delighted. Thank you. <laughs> I feel a bit—I'll have to be honest—knowing that the people in this room are aficionados of Wendell Berry. Uh, I feel a bit like Oscar Wilde when he said he felt like a lion in a den of Daniels. <laughs> 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 My fear is that everyone here knows more about Wendell Barry than myself, but I, I can say with some confidence that no one has a greater debt that they owe to him uh, or a deeper affection
0: uh, than I do. I love Mr. Mm-hmm. Barry. Yeah. Well, it'll be fun to talk. Um, a little bit about you for, for our listeners. Um, you're well known to this group here, for to folks who have been to Hushmith the last few years. Um mm-hmm. Uh, but for those who who don't know, um, Alan is a singer, a songwriter, and a speaker, and he's the author of a memoir called *The Last Sweet Mile*, which it was about uh, your experience caring for your brother during his his last the last year of his life. Right. Um, when uh, we were getting ready to uh, to set this episode up, I actually uh, emailed Pete Peterson, who uh, helps run uh, the Rabbit Room and Hutch and I said, "So we're going to do this live episode. Like, who do you?" Is there anyone who you know is going to be there that we should definitely try to uh, talk into this? And this, by the way, was like two days ago. Um, (laughs) And so Alan's great to to do this at the last minute. Uh, But Pete gave me one suggestion. He says you have to talk to Alan. And uh, you were super gracious to come on at the last minute. Um, As I was getting to know you more... Through your website and uh, we were watching some of your uh, some of the videos uh, of, of you performing um, I did come across something that you wrote about I assume that you wrote it about yourself and I'm I was hesitant. I was hesitant to read this because I don't want to seem lazy that I'm not gonna write my own intro for you but it's so good it's so good so this is what it says about you on your own website and this endears you, endears you to me um, before I even really know you. Alan Levi has played for audiences of of all descriptions, sharing a colorful and sometimes whimsical perspective on life through songs that celebrate the small moments of everyday experience. Um, His music offers a reflective and unhurried consideration of our accidental roads, our happy lightnings, our open windows, the people in our towns, the movement of our moments, the games we play, and the things we are leaving behind. And reading that, I realized we had the perfect first guest to talk about Wendell Berry. (laughs) Thank you. So welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. First, Alan, where where is home for you? Yeah,
3: home uh, these days is a small town called Hamilton, Georgia. It's about 25 miles north of Columbus where I grew up. Columbus has about 200,000 people. I went to high school there. Uh, After I finished law school, I returned to Columbus to practice law. Uh, In the early 90s, though, 1990s, I moved to Hamilton, where our family had a piece of land that we have owned or stewarded, I should say, since 1968. Mm -hmm. So I live in Hamilton. My studio was there. The last 22 years I've been doing music, I travel a lot, so kind of fly out of the Atlanta airport about an hour and a half north of me, uh, I was recently judged there in the county uh, for a couple of years, the probate judge. Um, but it's a small town, 400 people, two stoplights. The county has about 40,000 people. It's a sprawling <laughs> community. It would be it would probably be incorrect to label it uh,
0: agricultural, but it is certainly rural by nature.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Wonderful place to live. When I was uh, getting to know you a little bit more through, through your website and uh, the, the, talking with you yesterday... I, it would occur to me that you give sort of the, the dos equis, most interesting man in the world, uh, a run for his money, because you uh, have been, since the 90s, a singer-songwriter, a traveling musician, but you've done a lot of things, and it's been an interesting road to this point where you are right now as a singer-songwriter, so can you, can you talk a, a bit about how you got to where you are now in this your particular type of Yeah, I'll, I'll try to condense it.
3: Um, I practiced as a, a civil litigator for 10 years in Columbus, uh, 1980 to 1990. My dad always thought that I might be an okay lawyer because I like to tell stories. And like Mr. Barry, I had the great privilege of growing up around good talkers. <laughs> and many of his wow. characters I recognized from my life uh, uh, growing up around Harris County, Georgia. Uh, but I went to law school. After 10 years, uh, I thought I would just take a break. I don't have a family never have. And so I moved to Edinburgh, Scotland and got a master's in English literature there uh, and and started playing guitar a lot and writing songs. And and, uh, after that, I applied to their doctoral program and was admitted, but it was just going to take so long that I came home to part-time law practice and was playing music for fun and every now and then get a gig. After three years of that, I thought, I'm going to get this out of my system. And so my career plan was to do music full-time for two years, go broke, and go back to law practice. <laughs> and my plan did not work out, so 22 years later I'm still doing this. But uh, it, it's interesting, the symmetry between law practice and what I do now as a singer-songwriter. People think it's this really this precipitous leap from one to the other. But as a lawyer, uh, my tools words my job or my task was to tell stories and my goal was to persuade people to a particular point of view and as a singer-songwriter and also as a follower of Christ uh, my tool is words my job is to tell stories and my hope is to persuade people to at least entertain a perspective of life that I think is true and good
0: yeah, yeah that's really beautiful, that's beautiful. Um, and I had, do have some questions but if you guys have ever have anything, mm-hmm. jump in um, yeah, yeah. Early on, we, in this episode, we gave our own Wendell Berry origin stories. Yeah. Uh, what's your Wendell Berry origin story? Yeah, I love this story.
3: So uh, years ago, I was doing a magazine uh, interview, and uh, I, I could tell from the questions that the interviewer was asking that he probably read books. I uh, saw so at the end of the interview.
1: He wakefully read book not, yeah. not always the case.
3: Not always the case. But I asked him, I said, do you have any good book recommendations? And so he said, do you know Wendell Berry? I said, I know the name, and it seems like I read something by him years ago, but it didn't connect with me. He said, read The Art of the Commonplace, mm-hmm. which is a compilation of essays from a number of different books with a splendid introduction uh, by Norman Wirzba." Well, At the same time, my mother and father were completing a legal transaction by which they would get the 1,600-acre piece of property that we call the farm out of their names into the name of my brother and myself. And in all honesty, as much as I enjoy the land that I live on, at that point in time it felt like quite a burden, Mm -hmm. and I was ambivalent about having responsibility for this big piece of land. Well... I guess the choreography of coincidence brought that moment in my life together with the art of the commonplace, and I read the first 50 or 75 pages, and it was just a slog. I just could not, I was a lazy reader, and still am largely, but I started back over, and I had to do that three or four times, but by the time I finished the art of the commonplace, I was an entirely different person. Hmm. Wow. And uh, I think one of the essays that spoke to me most poignantly was the one called Think Little, where he says our tendency as Westerners, and particularly Americans in this day and time, if there is a big problem, is to think of a big solution. Mm -hmm. He says the wiser way to to look at big problems is a lot of people doing small things well over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of become a mantra of life for me, but more importantly than that, he spoke and and speaks consistently about affection for land, and I think that at the point that I began that book, I had a tolerance and a certain gratitude for land. My father's a forester, and so I grew up in the woods hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, all of those things, but I realized the only way that I can steward this land properly, the only way that I can... Uh, transmit to the next generation, my nieces, nephews, or whoever, the worth of the land is to love it, mm-hmm. and so that be- that began to be my prayer more and more. God, give me a love for this land, and I love the land where I live and the community, the mm-hmm. the people there as well.
0: So that's that's the is that's the transformation. Certainly, at least least part of the transformation you're talking about yeah. um, are, there, are there other other ways that uh, as you sort of went beyond the art of the commonplace where you felt other aspects of your of your life changing
3: yeah, yeah. lots um so i'll tell you a musical project that was directly influenced by mr Berry. Um, i realized because i live in the middle of this piece of land and in, in the county where i live people are very spread out i realized i don't really know my neighbors And so I came up with this idea of doing a recording project where I would interview some of my neighbors and write songs about them. Mm -hmm. And so I I chose seven because a CD, which was the way we used to sell music (laughs) (laughs) uh, way back in the day, would only hold 74 minutes of information. So I interviewed seven people, some I knew barely, some I knew none at all. Uh, edited the interviews down to three or four minutes, and so on the, on the recording, you hear their voice and their story. And then out of those, there came a song. And it, it, it just gave me such an appreciation for the stories that are all around me and, and the, the depth of beauty and the human life that is my neighborhood. Uh, another footnote to that is that one of the songs that I wrote was about an elderly African-American man. He preferred that I call him black. And so I will do that in reverence to Deacon Benjamin Floyd. But at the end of our interview, he's now passed away, he told me that he could not read. But all during the course of the interview, he quoted the Scripture, sometimes slightly misquoted, but he was steeped in Scripture. And I asked him, uh, Deacon Floyd, how do you know the Bible so well if you can't read it? And he said, well, since 1943, he didn't say it the way I'm saying it, but he since 1943 I've been going to the Long Street Baptist Church over on 208. And it's a little small brick building that I've driven by thousands of times, and I didn't know it was a functioning meeting place for a congregation. I asked Deacon Floyd, would it be okay for me to come uh, to visit your church sometime? And, and to quote him, he said, The doors of our church is built on welcome hinges. Whosoever <laughs> shall may come. And so, a couple of weeks later, I went, and for the last eight years, that has been my church home. And I dare say that, but for the influence of Mr. Barry's writing on the way that I began to see my community, I would never have stepped across that line.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So, like I say, my, my indebtedness is deep.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: That is, it brings to mind one of the essays we've, we've talked about, and I forget the name. Was it in *The Unsettling America*, where he talks about the width, uh, an acre of land, or like within your land, that it would take multiple lifetimes to get to know every bit of it within an acre of land that you could never really know it and so I, I love that story and just getting to know the, all these people that are with it not, not to mention getting to know the people within yeah. that, that yeah. land that's a whole different story just yeah. getting to know the land yeah. uh, let alone uh, the neighbors I, I love that yeah. makes me want to interview my neighbors yeah. I, I, no, no, I, no, <laughs> on my too. street you'll be I'm amazed
3: yeah <laughs> it's a good recommendation for everybody yeah. Yeah. yeah you can't love them if you don't know them yeah mm-hmm. and it's so fundamental the great command that Jesus gives to, to ones like myself and many of us uh, is to love God heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves mm-hmm. And I don't think we can do that if we don't get close enough to touch them and yeah. look them eye to
1: eye. We have uh, my students at my school, the 11th graders this semester, are doing this project called Save Our Stories, and we've, uh, we're, we're integrating English and history together, and so they're learning about some kind of conflict, like whether it's the Korean War or Vietnam or something. But then the crux of the project is once you learn about it, you have to find a veteran within our county. In Carter County, and they're interviewing them and writing profile pieces on them, and that I see that kind of effect happening. with Some right of these here. kids uh, getting to know people uh, that have been literally down the street. For some of them, right. some of them have been in their family, and they haven't known their stories, yeah. you know, and just getting a chance to
0: allow people the room to open up. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so you had the opportunity to um, visit. Very, I believe, on this farm, right? Yeah. I actually I yeah. don't know the full story. but So can you tell uh, us in the audience uh, that story? Yeah, I, I fear
3: that the, the whole incident is, is right at the borderline of stalking somebody. <laughs> 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 but I've got a, a friend down in Birmingham who was turning 50, and he put together a little list of things that he wanted to do that year. It's interesting. Uh, his name is Ben May. He works with ESPN Sports in their marketing division. Uh, big city guy. But he heard me talk so frequently about Wendell Berry that uh, he began to ask uh, questions. And I said, well, just read some Wendell Berry, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Uh, having no suspicion at all that it might connect with him. And he became rabid Mm -hmm. for the writings of Wendell Berry. And so when he turned 50, he said, let's go visit him. And he wrote a letter. And it was really a, a lot of give and take. Mr. Berry was somewhat resistant Basically, because he said, Everything that I have to say is in my books.
4: (laughs) I would feel really (laughs) badly about
3: y'all driving six, seven, eight hours to come see me. And uh, we persisted. Mm -hmm. Uh, Add to that that Andrew Peterson was was going to take that trip with us. And so uh, we wrote him, Mr. Berry, a final letter. We're going to be in that area (laughs) before doing a concert. And it would serve our membership, the three of us who don't get to see each other very often mightily if you would let us come and hang out with you one afternoon. So if you don't let us come see you, you will be hurting our membership.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so he let, us, he, let
3: us, he let us come up on a How Sunday. How can you argue with that? There's yeah. a lawyer in right there. Yeah. But, but uh, it was a Sunday afternoon, beautiful Sunday afternoon. Uh, we drove up to Port Royal, tiny place. But the landscape is, is everything that you can imagine from what he tells us about it in his writings. And uh, walked up the steps, and Mrs. Berry... Uh, Tanya greeted us. Mr. Berry came from the upstairs down, and we spent a Sunday afternoon in delightful, mm-hmm. somewhat nervous conversations. <laughs> but it was wonderful.
0: Wow. Uh, what, um, what was your, I don't know, what, what's a good, because I don't want to stalk him through you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what was the address? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Um, so what was, uh, what, what are some of the things that you talked about? Uh, I talked with him a lot
3: about timberland
2: um,
3: because that's where I live. And he has a keen interest in some uh, some older logging methods. My dad kind of grew up uh, as a commercial forester where you use big equipment. You do a lot of damage to the land in the process. A lot of chemicals are used uh, before you replant a clear-cut area. So we uh, we talked about that a good bit. I honestly don't remember a lot about the conversation. And I hate to say that it was uh, it was like three guys with a man crush on Mr. Berry, but that's what it was like, <laughs> really. But the thing that I remember about Mr. Berry, and, and one thing that has always drawn to me, both to his writings and to the times I've, I've seen him in person or seen videos of him, is the good humor that he has. Because he seems to have such clarity about how broken the world is and the ruin that we have brought to so much of it. Uh, the fact that he maintains a a clear hope and beyond that even a cheerfulness uh, is something that is radiant uh, when you're in his presence. So he laughed, he was interested, uh, he would respond slowly to questions. You could tell that he's a man who takes words very seriously. But just the the good nature and the hospitality is what I recall most of all. And then of course the chance to be with my buddy Ben and with Andrew (laughs) Peterson. That's a memory that
1: you'll great you'll
0: memory. Share. Yeah. yeah, you guys have other other questions that I may be missing by not turning to you.
1: I I I would like to know about your a little bit more about your musical career. Like what the, what is that entailing for you mm-hmm. now? Because I mean I will admit that I have just found out about you through coming yeah. to this conference. and I'm really excited to hear about like what you're working on right now. Yeah. Well,
3: let me let me say this that uh, I I describe my 22 years uh, as a musician uh, gratefully as one that has involved a microscopic but very loyal following of of people. (laughs) Uh, So I was 40 when I started doing music. I had been writing by then. Uh, The stuff that I write is not terribly mass marketable. I do try to celebrate small things. Mm -hmm. Mr. Berry would say keep inventory of wonder. Mm -hmm. He talks Mm -hmm. of his own property as a place that is inexhaustible in in its supply of beauty and things to behold. And those are the things that I tend to write about. People, uh, places, moments, but I'm a guitarist. Mm -hmm. I have a studio on my farm so I do my own production. It's just a compromise I've had to make to be able to survive as a musician. Mm -hmm. I've got a piano player that travels with me and uh, we really have played for every description of humanity all over the country. The last few years, especially after my brother got sick, uh, I I pulled in my tent pegs a bit and I I don't go too far from home anymore. But love to write, and I think that uh, a lot of the things that I write about have been very influenced by Mr. Berry. It's interesting, when, uh, when I was uh, playing out and about a lot, I did a weekend with Eugene Peterson, and this was mm-hmm. about the same time that I did the magazine interview. Uh, the title for the talks that weekend, it was a, a weekend gathering, was Practice Resurrection, mm-hmm. and I didn't know where it came from. And uh, Mr. Peterson told us, and I promptly went and got a book of Wendell Berry's poems. And I'm always gobsmacked when I hear that poem. Yeah, Yeah. And we've all probably read it lots and lots of times, but uh, it is sheer profundity.
0: Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, it is. So here's here's a story. Yeah, please. A recent example of how Wendell Berry has uh, affected me. Uh, Just a week ago, I was talking with my brother-in-law, and uh, I'm getting ready to retire from performing. I've just got a handful of gigs left, and there are a lot of reasons that I probably need to be closer to home now. Mm -hmm. Um, So my brother-in-law was asking me, well, what do you want to do? And I I just recently wrote a song called Bucket List. It's a Motown tune. (laughs) Um, But so that kind of inspired the question, I guess. So, Alan, what's on your bucket list? And I said, well, you know, I really don't have one, but let me think about it real quickly. And I thought about it quickly, and I said, Greg, I can say with some confidence that there might not be a single item on my bucket list that requires me to get in my car. Hmm. That is pure Wendell Berry. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. acre of land that you're talking about, mm-hmm. I want to know all of them that are around me. I want to know my neighbors. I want to learn the name of every wildflower. I want to know how the veins work in a, a pine cone. I mean, and that is, hmm. that is what Wendell Berry, an agent of my Savior Jesus,
0: has done for me
4: mm-hmm.
0: he's just exploded the world with beauty and wonder Yeah, amazing I love that amazing if you if someone came up to you and asked you uh, two questions and uh, they were what is your favorite Wendell Berry book and they said you know I've actually not read any uh, any Wendell Berry myself but I've heard him recommended where should I start what would be your answer to those two questions
3: yeah it would obviously depend on who's asking the okay, question okay yeah that's a good point right yeah uh, but if it's someone who is a moderate reader, mm-hmm. uh, I would probably th- direct them to either some essays that I would handpick,
4: mm-hmm.
3: one of them being Think Little, mm-hmm. or I would send them to Jaber Crow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I-, I can't really say there's a favorite thing that I've read by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read Jaber Crow, I don't know, five, six, seven times, and I've got all of Mr. Berry's books. In the last ten years, there probably has never been a week that I don't read Someone to Berry. And I always have a book in process, the one right now. And this would be a good one. It's called Conversations with Wendell Berry. It's a collection mm-hmm. of interviews with uh, him. Yeah. And so you get to kind of hear him in his native tongue respond to questions. And some of the questions are really softballs. And some of them are really <laughs> these deep brooding things. And you get a sense for the 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 mental giant that Wendell Berry mm-hmm. is, uh, but also the eloquent writer-speaker that he is. So I'd probably say Jabra Crow on both
1: counts. Yeah. Gosh, that right. brings me when you talk about him being interviewed. That brings me to the was it the New York Times? Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a great New York Times interview. That's the like almost he's just being curmudgeon He's just yeah. he does the opposite of that. Where they say, "What's your favorite book?" and like asking him those kinds of questions, and he keeps basically saying, "I don't have one." But like, well, do you know what you're gonna read next? No, I'll just follow my nose. Right? <laughs> he's like, yeah. short. But I think that was what he said. Uh, I'll, I'll
2: like act any good like, hound dog or Christian. I will follow my nose. Yeah, I like, gosh, I love yeah. that. I'll follow my
1: nose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh thank you so much thank you how how uh
2: how can uh people our listeners how can they find your music and your uh your books
3: yeah alan A L L E N L E V I. Awesome.
0: good deal and one thing that we've discovered just in the last couple couple days is that you publish uh, you post a new song per week yeah i've done Uh, that lately and i could i could probably do that pretty easily because you've
3: written thousands thousands (laughs) thousands of songs um most of which have a, a lifespan of one performance <laughs> <laughs> or like less. Dylan, yeah. But I love to write, and the reason that I write is because it makes me live attentively, and my goal wow. is not to write yeah. new songs. It's just to wake up with my antenna ready for the signal that says, here's your song for the day. But when I quit uh, traveling altogether, that might become a discipline for me mm-hmm. just so I can stay in the studio from time to time. That's so great. Yeah. That. That's great. Alan,
0: thank you so much for
3: You're being welcome. here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Can you give us some yeah.
2: All right. Well, um, as we come toward the end of our time together here, we did want to sort of take an opportunity to uh, but listeners before uh, before we started recording here. We passed out a slip of paper with uh, with those three questions that that we talked about um, wanting to ask uh, all of our all of our guests Um what Wendell Berry poem, book, or story has meant the most to you and why? If you could ask Wendell Berry one question, what would it be? And how does Wendell Berry inspire or shape the work that you do? Um, So we gave, we passed out these questions at the beginning uh, of our time together here at Hutchmoot and uh, let the audience know that we'd be giving them an opportunity to come up and answer one of those questions if they would like to. Uh, (laughs) So uh, what about we start with that first one? Um, What Wendell Berry poem, book, story has meant the most to you and why? Is there anyone among us who would like to come up and share?
0: And if you do want to share, we're going to ask that you come up here. Um, and keep it brief so we can hear from as many people as possible, especially sure. since this is, uh, we've already been recording for a while. But to, to come in and uh, speak in the microphone, if, you, if you're willing to do it, which we, which we would love. Yeah, Lyle. Is that, Lyle? Is that right, Lyle? Yeah. All right.
2: If, before you share, if you don't mind just sharing your name and uh, what is your place, where are you from?
0: Great. Yeah, uh, Lyle Mook.
3: I'm in southern Rhode Island. Great. And uh, hospital chaplain there. Um, my intro to Barry was through poetry and... Uh, one of the poems that I enjoy poets as they talk about their own aging. And, uh, and so his poem, it's a 1993 Sabbath poem. Um, I think sometimes given the, uh, the heading No Going Back, but the last line
2: is, every day you have less reason not to give yourself away.
1: Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is That's profound. Thank, awesome. you. Thank you, Lyle. Thank you, that's uh, those, the Sabbath poems, the, the Timbered Choir, that collection is mm-hmm. one that when we have that conversation about a first book you hand to somebody, that's one I've handed five or six times. I've given away that book so many times, I just mm-hmm. keep having to buy it over and over again. <laughs> that's a really amazing, amazing collection. Yeah, that's great. But someone it? else for that for that yeah.
0: first question. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about it? I'll oh, share. Sure, great. Sure. Come on. <laughs> Thank you.
5: My name is Hannah Smith, and I currently live in Kansas City, Missouri. All right, awesome. I'm a huge Royals
0: fan. Oh, great. Right. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm just
5: diving into Wendell Berry, but I've read Hannah Coulter twice. Um, this most recent time was with my grandmother, who was dying of stage four pancreatic mm-hmm. cancer. Wow. And um, it was just amazing because it gave us language that we didn't have oh,
0: wow. to talk
5: about things that we were did not have access to prior to reading this book together. Um, And her lifespan matches that of Hannah, so she resonated with so much of what happened in Hannah's life. And the day that she died, the morning that she died, we read the chapter in Hannah Coulter called The Membership. Um, And that was just like a few hours before she passed away. And she was totally with it the whole time. She was tracking Mm -hmm. along. She was Mm -hmm. asking, what happened to Nathan? Like, she was (laughs) engaged, so...
0: It's a very special book to me. That's incredible. Thank you, so, Thank much. you so, much yeah, so much for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah.
2: Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, that's one of, the, one of the things that literature does for us and that, that, uh, that Wendell Berry shares is that uh, it, yeah, it gives us, gives us words to, um, to interpret our life. And um, yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so the, the second question we have is um, if you could ask Wendell Berry one question. What would it be? Was there anyone who would like to share a response to that one? Because we might, you know, you never know if we'll actually yeah. talk to him. We could ask yeah, him this. <laughs> we have Alan
0: show us, the, give us directions. Yeah,
4: exactly, <laughs> exactly,
2: yeah. Sure,
0: come on. Yeah. What's your name and where are you from?
4: I'm Jeremy Sanders from Birmingham. So as... Uh, Barry talks about community and place and the importance it to that. And I think everybody that reads his work, that, that desire is a you know, it awakens in you and you, you long for that, but you know, the the cat's out of the bag, everybody can't move to the, the country and be mm-hmm. a farmer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh, I don't know if Chris is in here, but we were talking about if you overlay Barry and and J D Vance's writing, they overlap, right? A lot of the places that Barry talks about or some of the places that Vance talks about mm-hmm. it's just the the pain and suffering that's in some of those rural areas. So you know as we as we long for that sense of community, what's the answer for the guys that or the, the people that live in, in suburbia and urban settings that, mm-hmm. that don't have the, the luxury or privilege to to move to the country. And then for those that are in the country but are almost forgotten, you know, how do we engage with them? Yeah. Such a good question. Such a wonderful question. question. This is weird because
0: we have questions that we can't answer, and I don't actually like that. Yeah, no, it's great. (laughs) It's kind of hanging here. Well, Wonderberry
2: talks about living our lives, uh, wrestling with fruitful questions uh, that can sort of open up new ways of being, Um, and I think that's one of those questions. Um,
1: So thank you for sharing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you brings to my uh, as ellie wiesel in night when he says that the the question that he learns at the beginning of that book is that the the most important thing is the questions is asking the right questions mm-hmm. and not the answers and and i hope that some of these questions we will get a chance to ask but also just hearing good questions will help us organize this thing that we're doing because we'll want to find some you know, a lot of the same answer yeah. answers to a lot of the same questions absolutely so. anyone else with a question for wendell Berry?
0: In absentia. In absentia. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hi <laughs> there. What's your name? And where are you from?
3: I am Nancy Carroll, and I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Also. Awesome. And uh, feeding off a little bit of what Alan said, that he's able to live with hope and knowing that the times that we live in now, it's sometimes hard for me to get. An orientation to it. I think my question would be: in what ways are you encouraged by the times we live in right now? Mm. So, oh, that's
0: a
2: great. Question. That's a wonderful question. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. 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 All right, and our last question: um, how does Wendell Berry inspire or shape the work that you do? Anyone who'd like to share? We heard from Alan, certainly, uh, in response to that, but anyone else like to share? Yeah, join us.
0: Uh, my name is Dan a. Mulch. I'm from uh, Bloomington, Illinois. Um,
1: so this actually comes from the, the Netflix documentary. Have you seen it? Yeah. Uh, look come, and, look see, and see. Yeah. 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 Look and see. And uh, it's actually kind of a, it's an answer to a question somebody asked Wendell Berry.
0: You know, he's, he's talking about. Uh, it's like you know, go through these. You read Wimble Berry, and it's very inspiring, but it's also very mournful about kind of what's been lost. And uh, somebody asked him, you know, like, well, what, what do we do? How do we put it all back together? You know, and he says, well, you can't put it all back together. Um, so they can kind of ask, well, well, what do we do? And he says, well, you just find two things that belong together and you put them together.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so what I love about that answer is it's well it's scalable, right? It's like it's like something I can do, like the problem is is uh, um, immense. You know, it's it's bigger than any one person. It's a culture. It's bigger than any one generation. Um, but you can find two things that belong together and put them together. It's so back like, to that like, thinking little idea. Yeah, from yeah earlier. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's, so that's yeah. uh, that's it's it's a way you can take a step. Yeah. You know? Great. That's, That's beautiful. Awesome. Thank you, awesome. Thank you for yeah. sharing.
2: Um, anyone else with uh, with an answer? Yeah, please join us. Oh,
1: with an answer yeah. to that question. You're
5: right. You are yeah. right. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I'm Melissa, and I live in Savannah, Georgia. Great to meet you. Melissa. And I'm just new to Wendell Berry, other than of some poetry. I just read Hannah Coulter also. Mm. And because it was a memoir of a woman, and I'm a mom and a, and a, and a person who's kind of felt exhausted with motherhood and myself kind of in a way Mm. one quote that really stood out to me was time doesn't stop your life doesn't stop and wait until you get ready to start living it and for me that was really powerful because I was thinking about how I tend to think that I need to just all these things that I want to do are not what I can do but I can live right now with what I have with my place with my Mm. people and it was just a reminder of that truth that I don't have to wait, that this, even in this season, even if it doesn't look like what I might dream it would at another time, that I can pour in all of my energies there and it's rewarding. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Absolutely oh, thank, you.
1: thank you so much. Uh,
0: Maybe do one more for yeah, that question. I think
1: these co-host tryouts are going really well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone else for the last question? Okay, great, great. great. Hi, I'm... Um,
5: I'm Gina Gallagher. I'm from Pennsylvania.
0: Um,
5: I've read a lot of Wendell Berry. Have many of his books. I think it's what the world would say is minutiae, mm-hmm. that he just elevates mm-hmm. the littlest thing, the littlest part of a person, the littlest aspect of where the person lives. And I love to write, and I don't want to miss that. And so I think when I forget, I want to go back to him and remember that it's those tiny, tiny things that really matter. Because that's most of our days, yeah, actually. You're right. So.
4: Yeah. That's
1: what he does Absolutely. I love Absolutely. it. Thank yeah. you so Thank much. Thank you. I, am, I know with with confidence that I will be listening back myself to this episode thanks to all of you. <laughs> with yeah. these amazing things you're saying, I don't want to miss any of them, the things that, we, that Alan shared. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, and, and yeah, really appreciate you all sharing and being with us today uh, as, as John. Uh, read in the quote from Burley Coulter at the top um, the membership includes everyone and um, includes all of you and we're just delighted that uh, that you'd share with us in our our first episode here
0: yeah and I think if I could uh, Dana speak for these guys also also sort of recalling that quote where he says the difference isn't in who's who's in and who's out but who knows it and who doesn't um, our hope for this podcast and really our hope in our lives um, just as we as makers and as people um, in our places, we want to let more people know that they're in. We want more people to know it. Um, and hopefully this this podcast will have a, a small part to play with that. Um, uh, let's see. Tim, do you want to kind of close this out? Sure.
2: We do have a raffle.
0: Oh, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, folks who came in here, uh, they were given a number. And uh, we are going to put that. What was the final number that we? Forty. 43, Forty-three, and I think. then I think a couple folks came in that didn't have a number. Can you raise your hand if you didn't? Okay, this is for a <laughs> raffle for a book, not to be the the, the first. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say you're forty-four and you're forty-five. Is that okay? Here's and now does everyone couple back by the door? Okay. Do they want numbers? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So okay, so we have a forty-six. All right. So I just downloaded this. Uh, to my phone.
2: So everyone, uh, we should explain this to our oh, listeners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we uh, <laughs> so everyone has a number uh, that was on the the back of their uh, slip of paper, and we have a copy of the uh, That Distant Land, which is a collection of uh, Wendell Berry short stories that we're going to be reading from, uh, for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, and we it was purchased from a great local bookstore, which we thought Wendell Berry would like.
2: Landmark Booksellers in Landmark Franklin, booksellers. Tennessee.
0: Yeah. Yep. All right. So one through forty six is now in. Uh, a, uh, in the iPhone, which I'm sure Wendell Barry would love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And, uh, you can We've see- lost that battle. We're, yeah. we're doing a podcast. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to generate the number, and it's the number 30. <laughs> All right. All right. And so, would you mind passing that back to Awesome.
1: Right. Well, we'd like to thank Rabbit Room. Uh, network for having us and for letting us be a part of Hutchmoot. This has been an amazing pleasure to have you all here to witness us fumbling our way through our first episode. (laughs) Uh, But it's really been a joy. And I was serious to say I'll be listening back at it, not for us but to hear your words there from the end. And we hope to have as much of that as possible. So our website is membershippod.com and you can go there and you can sign up for letters that will up- give updates the the first episodes of the podcast will probably start posting in november uh sometime and there's also we're available on twitter and instagram which again i'm sure wendell berry would love but uh but just the way to to be together as much as we can so at membership pod on both of those and on facebook as well and on facebook yeah yes um, So we will be, uh, our first episode that will be coming out after this one is published will be covering fiction. And so if you're looking to read for that first episode, we're going to be covering two short stories, The Hurt Man and Girl in the Window. The Hurt Man can be found in that distant land, and Girl in the Window is in A Place in Time, or I think you can find both of them in the Library of America edition that came out earlier this year. And these are the only two stories that exist in the 1800s. So we're starting way back at the beginning. and these are two actually more recent stories uh, that he's written.
0: So um, both both stories about incredible women, um, which was which we talk about mm-hmm. in that episode. It's a seems like a very a powerful and appropriate way for for Wendell Berry to begin sort of uh, Port William time. Are these two women who um, played a small but enduring. Um, uh, role in everything that came afterward yep. and
1: to close this out i'm going to read one more thing it's, it's short but I, <laughs> I, I, know I i think this is this it. is appropriate and yeah. I, I joked earlier that i'm glad he didn't include podcast about to what i'm about to read but this is the notice that wendell Berry put at the beginning of jay burke crow It says, notice persons attempting to find a text in this book will be prosecuted <laughs> persons attempting to find a subtext in it will be banished persons attempting to explain interpret explicate analyze deconstruct or otherwise understand it will be exiled to a desert island in the company only of other explainers by order of the author so we'll see you all on the desert island
0: (laughs) thanks everybody thanks everybody
2: Thank you for listening to episode zero of The Membership, a Wendell Berry podcast. It was recorded before a live audience on October 6th, 2018 at the Hutchmoot Gathering in Franklin, Tennessee. We'd like to thank the Rabbit Room, Pete Peterson, Andrew Peterson, our special guest Alan Levi, and everyone who volunteered to share their own stories on the podcast. We'd also like to thank Kate Patterson who helped edit this episode. The membership is a proud member of the Rabbit Room Podcast Network. To discover other great podcasts, please visit rabbitroom.com forward slash podcasts. The excerpts read in this episode can be found in that distant land, standing by words, Jaber Crow, and the new collected poems, all of which were written by Wendell Berry and published by Counterpoint Press.